And so I want to tell you a story about this one time that I got really explosively angry. And it was with my little brother. How many of you have little siblings, like younger siblings? Okay, so he has like one of the exclusive rights to like just get under my skin. So I was about 12 years old and, and he, 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 it seemed like his full-time job, like his goal in life was to aggravate me. And he would just spend all of his time doing things that would annoy me. And I'd be like, listen, I'll play with you, but like, not now. Like, can you just like, give me some chance, give me some time. He'd take my things, break them. And whenever his friends were around, he would just take it to a whole other level. Because now his friends are here. I got to make them laugh. I got to impress them. So I'm going to annoy my brother even more. And I'm like, bro, just leave me alone. Like, give me some time. And, and like, just like, this isn't cool. And he, kept, he would keep going and going and going. And one day, we were outside, and he was sitting on the stairs. And I was trying to walk past to go inside. And he said something smart to me. And I, like, I was like, you know what? I'm not, I don't have time for this. And then he spit in my face. And I just like snapped. And he's sitting there on the, on the stair. And I just take my foot and I just like right in between his legs, just like crushed his boyhood. And I'm sitting like, don't ever do that again. And, and, like, and it, it just like, because it just like rose up in me. And I'm like, but then I didn't get angry again for like the next like five years. Like it just didn't. But the point was that like it just it just like we all get angry sometimes and then we do things that you know we're not too proud of. And I say share that story because today we're gonna talk about a time that Jesus got really angry. And that's gonna be in Mark chapter five. So I'm gonna read it, read it for you. In Mark chapter five, not five, eleven. Verse 15, it says this, and they came to Jerusalem and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, is it not written, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. So in this scene, Jesus steps into the temple, and he sees some stuff going on, and he goes off. He starts flipping tables. He's, like, raising his voice at people. He, and John even says that he makes whips, and he's chasing people out of the temple. And I love this passage because it, I love things. I love awkwardness, and I love things that make people uncomfortable. And this passage I've seen make, make the church very uncomfortable because we don't normally see Jesus doing stuff like this. Like, imagine if Pastor Justin walked in somebody's church and just, like, picked up the guitar and, like, smashed it, pulled out his belt, and was, like, chasing people. Like, how would you explain this? Like, he's not usually like this. Like, trust me. Like, it's okay. And, like, like how do you justify that? Like, Justin, like, relax. Like, it's, it's not that big a deal. Like, Jesus is out here doing that. And, like, and, and we don't know how to handle this. This makes the church uncomfortable because normally Jesus gets presented in a very manicured, sanitized, like domesticated way. Like he's got the shampooed hair, the flowing white robe. He's got like this little baby lamb. He looks like he, he'll let anybody cut him in line at Starbucks. Like, like he, he doesn't cause problems. And then he does this and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, I don't know what to do with this. I've literally heard people say when Jesus cleansed the temple, he did it calmly. How do you flip tables calmly? Like, are you just like, like, we don't know what to do with it. Like, Jesus is out here doing things that we don't know how to classify, what to expect. And I'll be honest, I don't know 
how to explain this. I, I'm not, I don't know how to justify why he's making whips, why he's screaming at people or flipping tables. Um, I, I will say this though, I do not think that he's telling us that we should do the same, that we should pull out our belts or smash other people's worship instruments. Because the Bible does say that in your anger do not sin, and so it seems that whatever Jesus is doing here, like it's not sin, but maybe it's not okay for us to do it. I don't know what it is, but the point is this. I do know though that we can learn a lot about people from what they get angry about. And so today, my hope is not that I would justify your anger issues, but that you would learn more about Jesus as we learn more about his anger. And that from that, you would fall more in love with him today. So pray with me. Jesus, we praise you that you are a passionate God. And because you are a passionate God, you get angry. And I first off want to surrender things that I've done that have made you angry and, and ask for your forgiveness. And we ask that you would open our eyes and our ears today to see what you want us to see about your anger and that in the midst of it, see your love in that anger. We pray this in your name. In order to understand why Jesus gets so angry in the temple, we have to understand why God gets angry in general, like what ticks him off. And normally when you get angry, like it's usually because you have like a soft spot for something. Like Justin is talking about his kids. Like, you know, if somebody messes with his kids, like, oh, get angry, like because he has a soft spot for his kids, like most parents do. If you have a soft spot for your reputation and somebody says something about you, like you'll get angry because that's a soft spot. And in the Bible, God seems to have two main soft spots that he's very sensitive about. One is worship, and the other is justice. Whenever anything gets in the way of one of these things, it ticks God off. So usually, whenever you see God get angry in the Bible, you can usually trace it back to one of these two soft spots that has been triggered. So the first time we see God get, upset, get angry in the Bible is right before the flood. And so it's in Genesis, and this is what happens. In Genesis, I think it's Genesis 6. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. So God has created people, and now they're all of a sudden they're just going around, they're acting wild, like they're, they're killing each other, they're being violent, like they're, they're treating each other unfairly, and God gets so fed up that he's like, you know what, I'm gonna kill all of y'all. Like he just floods everyone except for Noah. Like this reaches a point where he just gets so fed up with it because God hates injustice. And then several chapters later, it happens again, but specifically with a particular town. Sodom and Gomorrah come out, and God gets pissed, and he's like, I'm going to kill all of you too. And unfortunately, the church has taught us that the reason Sodom and Gomorrah got destroyed was because of homosexuality. And yes, there was homosexuality there, but it wasn't as simple as God being like, I don't like gay people, and you guys are so gay that I'm going to kill all of you. Like, it was more, like, it wasn't that simple. The Bible actually tells us why God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah later on in Ezekiel. Because in Genesis, he just says Sodom and Gomorrah are act, acting up like I'm tired of it. He's, he destroys them. But he never goes into detail. But in Ezekiel, 
he actually lays it out. And he says in Ezekiel chapter 16, he says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. So the people in Sodom and Gomorrah were, they had this disparity between the rich and the poor. And the rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer, and nobody was doing anything about it. And they were so concerned about filling themselves up, focusing on themselves, and like taking advantage of the people who couldn't help themselves. And it kept going and going to the point where God got fed up, and he was like, I'm sick and tired of this, and he just destroyed all of them. And that's ultimately what ticked him off, because God hates injustice. On top of that, this, this verse actually comes in the context of chapter 16, and in that chapter, God is going off on the Israelites for worshiping other gods. Like, for years, they've been going to other gods, going to other temples, and God is trying to get them to stop, and they keep going, and he just goes off. He's had enough. And I recommend you reading, like, that chapter on your own. If you really want to see God go unfiltered, and uncensored. Like, you ever have those moments where you walk into, like, like when you guys a kid, like, you walk into your friend's house, and their parents are, like, screaming at them, and you're like, half of you is like, oh, I'm scared, but half of you is like, wait, like, I kind of want to watch. Like, this is what chapter 16 is like. Like, God is just going off on the ears. He's like, you're out here, like, spreading your legs to all these other gods. Like, you're out here doing this, and I'm sick and tired of this, and he's like, I'm going to do this to you. I'm going to do that, because he's so angry that they've been worshiping other gods, because the second soft spot is worship that God cannot tolerate idolatry, and he gets him angry. And so these are the two things that get God angry, idolatry and injustice. But growing up, I didn't know that this is what God got angry about. And I feel like maybe like, and in part of it was because of the way that I was raised and because of the, what the church was teaching. Um, but I want to share a story to illustrate why that was. I, my parents raised me. And they raised me well, and I love my parents. And my dad is really cool, he's a really awesome guy. And like me, he doesn't usually get angry. But he will get angry a little more often than I do. And, and he wasn't like an angry guy, and I'm saying this because I'm gonna tell you a story about a time he got angry, but I don't want you to think that like he's always like this, okay? Because I also was a kid that I did a lot of things that you know, would have made anybody angry. And this is one of those things. So my dad and my mom, they own a daycare, um, in orange, and so like they, it's a Christian daycare, and they, and they take in kids from like, like infants all the way to like four or five years old, and humble plug, like if you have children and you're looking for really, you know, high class uh, childcare, some daycares, and they actually go up to kindergarten and first grade, orange is 15 minutes away, if you want more information, speak to me afterwards, but um, all that aside, so they have this daycare, and in the daycare, obviously, they have some toilets for, you know, the kids, so there's a little toilet, and then they have toilets for um, the adults with the big toilet. And my dad would tell me, listen, Emmanuel, if you need to use the bathroom, don't use the little toilet. Like, that's for the kids. Use the big toilet. I'm like, all right, cool. And one day, I don't know what possessed me, but I ended up using the little toilet. And I was grown. Like, I was like 13. And, and so, lo and behold, like, the toilet got clogged. And so you can imagine, like, what it was clogged with. And so now I'm sitting here, like, dang it, like, this thing won't flush. Like, my dad's gonna kill me. And so my dad finds out, and he is livid. Like, he just goes off. He's like, I told you not to do that. What is wrong with you? And I had, I had never seen him get this angry before in my life. Like, it was like a lid just like, like, filled out, and just like anger. Just, 
And my mom saw it, and she runs, no, honey, no, wait, stop, stop. And so like, she like interceded like, for, with, for me and like, saved me from like, a life-shattering beating. And, and so like, but you know, in a sense, like, it was justified. Like, why would you do that? Like, you're not supposed to use a little toilet. And, and so, but I, I share that because um, some of us grew up, maybe you grew up with like, a different view of anger. Maybe your, your parents were excessively angry or maybe even abusive. Or if, even if your parents were like my dad where they didn't always get angry, but sometimes they did, regardless of where your parents' anger fell on the spectrum, it inevitably colored your view of God's anger. Because as a kid, you do something wrong, and you think, ah, oh, dang, my dad's gonna kill me, my dad's gonna be so mad at me. And so when you grow up as an adult and you sin, it's, it's, it's no surprise that you think, dang, God, God's gonna kill me, like God's gonna be so mad at me. Because that's what we're used to. And even if you think about the reasons why we, or even why our parents get angry, it's usually because you've done something that inconvenienced them, like clogged the toilet, or, or broke their phone or something, or did something that made them look bad. Like, why would you do that? Like, now they're gonna think I don't feed you? Like, I don't know, what are they gonna think of me? Like, you humiliated me, and like, it's usually about them. And so we think that this is how God feels too. But in reality, it's not. That God, there are some things that God gets angry about, but there are some things that he doesn't. Like his response to sin is not always anger. Even in the Bible, the first time God gets angry is not the first time that sin shows up. Because the first time that sin happens, Adam and Eve eat the fruit and, and you know, they fall and God shows up and instead of going off on them, he starts asking questions like, what, where are you? What, who told you that you're naked? Like, why did you eat the fruit? And even when he does punish them, it's different from like what he does later in Ezekiel where he goes off for like three chapters. Like he's just like, this is what's gonna happen because of what you've done. Like our relationship is not gonna be different, but there's sadness in it. It's like, I didn't want it to be this way. Where there are some times where God responds in anger, but there are times where he responds with sadness. And I say that because it's easy for us to grow up thinking like, I did this, like, oh, I lost my virginity, now I have a child out of wedlock, God is angry at me. Or I, I, I got drunk again and now God is angry at me. Or I haven't read my Bible, come to church in a while, God is angry at me. And I want to encourage you that that's not the case. That God is not always responding to your sin with anger. There are times where he responds with sadness. Like, I, I don't want you to do this because it's hurting you. I have better for you. I didn't make you for this. And I want to say that to free you if you've been walking around feeling like God has this hammer over your head waiting to, to bash you. Another analogy I would use to describe it is, like my wife is here, and she was just leading worship um, and before. Um, if I suddenly started like drinking, like excessively, like every day after work, come home and I'm just going through a keg, her first response would probably be sadness. Like, babe, what are you doing? Like, what's going on? Like, why are you doing this? Like, why are you so, like, are you depressed? Like, what's happening? And she'd be sad because she wouldn't want to see me that way. But if I kept doing it and the drinking led to other things, like I became a violent drunk and now I started hitting her or I started hitting her friends or I became a promiscuous drunk and I started sleeping with other women, now her response would be different. It wouldn't just be sadness, now it becomes anger because it's directly hurting her, our relationship, and our relationship, her relationship with the people that she loves. 
And God, I believe that God has the same response with sin, that when we first start sipping sin, he's sad and he's like, I don't want you to do this. Like, this isn't good for you. Please stop. But then if we continue in it and it becomes idolatrous where we're like, I want this more than I want you, God. Or it becomes unjust where you start hurting other people around you. Now God is like, this is now out of control. Like, now I'm angry. You need to stop. But even then, the Bible says that God is slow to anger. And so when he explodes on the Israelites, it's not like out of nowhere. Like, this has been going on for like years, decades, like generations. And God is continuing, like, please stop. Like, I don't want you to do this. And they keep going. And eventually God is like, oh, I'm sick and tired of this. And, but it always comes back to idolatry or injustice because these are the soft spots that God has. And that leads us back to the temple. Because the reason Jesus is so upset in the temple is because both of these things are happening at the same time. And so he comes into the temple, and there are some things that need to happen. And two, of, two, two pretty big things is that, one, every man every year has to pay the temple tax. And when they pay the temple tax, they have to pay it in the temple coin. Now, everyone was living in the Roman Empire, so they all had Roman coins. So in order to pay the temple tax, they had to exchange their Roman coins to get temple coins. So if you've ever gone to another country, and you've probably had experience where you exchange your U.S. money for the other country's money. My wife and I went to Montreal for our anniversary, and we got, went to the bank and got some new exchanged American dollars for Canadian dollars. Like, yo, like, Canadian dollars are so colorful. Like, Americans, it's just green. Like, that's it. It was weird. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> it's, doesn't it sound like the speaker is farting? Like, should I turn it off? Like, is it? You think it's? Should I flick it? Are you good? All right. Anyway, hopefully God's not angry at me. Like that's not. Thank you. Let's get up for Ryan. All right. So anyway, Canadian money is very colorful, and I've noticed that other countries' money is just really colorful too, and we're the only ones with like just green. But anyway, that, so imagine like you're going to another country, I guess, or you're going to Turkey or something, and you need to exchange, you go to the bank, hey, I've got 500 American dollars, can you exchange this to Turkish money for me? And the teller's like, all right, that'll be $700. Like, what? Like, I didn't even give you $700. And they go, oh, well, you have to pay me to exchange this. And that's what the money changers were doing. They were charging people more money to exchange money for the temple tax because they knew that they had to get it. And so now people are out here like basically having to pay just to worship. And on top, they were doing that with the animals too because you had to buy animals to sacrifice and so they would charge inflated prices because they knew people had to buy them. And so they were doing this, like people had to basically pay exorbitant amounts of money just to worship and do what God had asked them to do. But then on top of all of that, there were, it was where it was happening that made Jesus mad too, because the temple itself, only the priests were allowed to be in there. So the priests would go inside the temple, and immediately outside the temple, everyone else could like chill and like worship and do their thing, but it was just like the Jewish people who were there. Then outside of there, it was the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were people who weren't Jewish, and, and they weren't, um, so they, they would come from different countries. They weren't necessarily part of the, even the same religion. But like, hey, I'm kind of interested in you know, your God. Like, I mean, but this is the only place that they could worship in that little area. And this money changing was happening 
in that area where the Gentiles were worshiping, the only place that they could worship. So now not only are people getting robbed, but now the Gentiles can't even pray. They can't even worship because all this commotion is happening in their little, like, sanctuary area. So now there's idolatry and there's injustice. So Jesus comes in and he's pissed. And so that's why he says, you've turned my house of prayer into a den of robbers. Because now these people who are my people have to suffer to worship. And these people who aren't my people but I still love can't even worship at all. And so he gets upset. And, and again, these are the things that anger Jesus, the idolatry and the injustice. And so the question then is, when it comes to our lives, if our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, if Jesus comes into our temple, are there things that he would have to cleanse? Is there idolatry in your life? Is there anything that you love more than you love God? Anything that distracts you from worshiping him, something that you would choose, consistently choose over him? If you continue in that, eventually, he might come in and start flipping tables because he does not tolerate anyone else being the God of your life. But then on the other hand, is there any injustice in your life? Are you mistreating anyone? Are you being unfair to your wife? Are you being unfair to your husband, being unfair to your kids, being unfair to people you work with? If you continue in that, then eventually Jesus may step in and start flipping tables. Because at the end of the day, he gets angry at idolatry and injustice. And because these are the things that Jesus gets angry about, we as the church should also be angry at these things in the world. But unfortunately, sometimes the stuff that the church gets angry about is very different from the stuff that God gets angry about. I believe personally that given like what I just showed, like what, how, what God gets angry about in the Bible, I think that some of the things today, like I think God is more angry about police brutality than he is about crimes. I think God is more angry about people like John MacArthur bashing women in ministry than he is about liberal theology. I think God is more angry about transgender people getting killed than he is about people being transgender because he gets angry about injustice and idolatry. He doesn't always get angry about the things we think he gets angry about. But there's also some, so Jesus' anger should bring us conviction because it can show us things that we need to change. Where do I need to put God back on the throne in my life? Where do I need to start treating people better? but it also can bring us comfort. Because, again, this happens in the area where the Gentiles are worshiping. And the Gentiles, like I said, were people who weren't Jewish. And so technically, all of us in here are Gentiles. Because we're not, unless you're ethnically Jewish, like all of us in here are Gentiles. And so what's interesting about this is that Jesus comes and he starts flipping the tables because the Gentiles can't worship and he loves them. And so what that tells me is that God doesn't just get angry at you. He also gets angry for you. He sees what's done to you. If you've never had anybody defend you, or you've never had anybody stand up for you, never had anybody protect you, I want to encourage you that God 
gets angry on your behalf. He sees when people lie about you. He sees when people mistreat you. He sees when people slander you. He sees when, when, when people gossip about you, when people mistreat you, and he gets angry. He wants to flip tables for you. And the Bible says that vengeance is the Lord's. And so I want to encourage you that regardless of what people have done to you, if you've, that, that inevitably God will stand up for you, that he will bring his vengeance, that he will fight for you because he gets angry for you. So to close us out, Jesus, there are few things that get God very angry and it's because he will not, he refuses to sit back and let anything else take his place in our lives. But he also refuses to sit back and let anything take advantage of you. Because at the end of the day, God loves you with a passionate and overwhelming love. So Father, we thank you that you are a God of passion and that because of your passion, you not only you don't just stay angry at us, you are also angry for us. That you fight on our behalf. That when we are sinning, like you look at us and, and, and you, you reach out to us to bring us back to you because you love us. So I ask, Father, that, that your presence would rest on everyone here, that anyone who has had a warped view of your anger, that they would see love in the midst of it and realize that you are not just angry at them but you get angry for them and that you stand up for them you fight for them because you love them we pray this in your son's name